that moment when the sun begins to fade, when the night air carries the faint scent of campfire, when a few notes underscore the nostalgia of a summer evening, when there's nowhere else you'd rather be. That's the moment you know that the best things in life aren't things. Massachusetts, take a moment. Plan your getaway at visitma.com. Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. You know, one of the things that we read about in the scriptures and that Jesus warns us about time after time after time is about being deceived. It's not always the answer you want to hear. Jesus, you know, when are we going to know about the uh, end times? Don't be deceived. That's what he says, right? And the thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. That's why you're deceived, right? That's the nature of being deceived. And one of the issues that has been an issue with Christianity uh, along or within Christianity is the idea of false teachers who are among us in who don't understand who Jesus is or don't understand what salvation is and then teach us something completely different. Or sometimes they do understand what historical or biblical Christianity is, and then it's distorted because it doesn't fit a political narrative or a social narrative of the time. And this is something that we really have to watch out for if we're going to be effective in disciple-making and in following the Lord. With me to talk about this is Jason Jimenez. Uh, Jason is the founder and president of Stand Strong Ministries. He's the best-selling author and national speaker, specializing in a biblical worldview, training, family ministry, and church leadership. And he's got a brand new book coming out September 12th. It's called Hijacking Jesus. And uh, you can get that just about anywhere coming up uh, on the 12th. Jason, thanks for joining us on the Pastor Scott Show. Appreciate it, Scott. Thank you so much. Hey, Jason, uh, uh, tell us about yourself and a little bit about your background and how did you end up getting to a point where you became passionate about this subject of really understanding who Jesus really is and why we have to get that straight? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I look back, I, I came from a loving family. I lost my mom when I was 15, unfortunately, and it was in that tragedy Scott, that I went deeper into the faith mm -hmm. and I wanted to explore, you know, issues about suffering. And again, if God is real and suffering obviously coexists alongside of him, how do you reconcile that? Yeah. And I, at that point, I didn't really have a grounded faith. I didn't have a real understanding. And so I actually started to dive into philosophy, which then led me to get a degree in philosophy. I uh, went to the University of Arizona and then I heard of a guy, which I'm sure many of your people listening have heard of Dr. Norman Geisler, and it was it was a few years into my marriage with two small kids. We were at a, a great Calvary Chapel church serving and ministering to family, doing apologetics there, but I wanted to go deeper, and so we packed up our bags. We said goodbye to our family on both sides, my mom's, my wife's side, my, my, mom, um, my side, my, my mom's side, and uh, we brought our two kids to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I enrolled in seminary to learn from Dr. Norman Geiser back in 2006. And then I was a pastor at a mega church here in Charlotte, ministering to students and parents. And it was there that I really got a deeper understanding, Scott, about how biblically illiterate hmm. a lot of families are. Yeah. And I don't say I don't say that to 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 belittle them or put them down. I would just I'm stating a fact when yeah. you would ask them what they believe and why they believe it. The vast majority of them couldn't really articulate um, what the Christian faith was all about, what salvation really is. In some cases, a lot of them were not even saved. So that's when I began to take a deep dive. And then in 2012, we felt the calling 
in support of many apologists like Sean McDowell and his father and Dr. Norman Geiser and a few others um, for us to launch Stand Strong Ministries. And they really helped me um, do that, where we now, for the last 10 plus years, we equip churches and families uh, with biblical worldview training. And so that's why my latest book, Hijacking Jesus, is an attempt to help biblical Christians defend what they believe while making a convincing case not to fall prey to progressive Christianity. You know, we have, you're right about those those numbers about Christians, or people who call themselves Christians who go to church. Many of them are Christians, but sometimes they're not, right? And, and I think sometimes we don't know. Something that happened during the COVID, right, is a lot of people dropped out of church, but they were probably dropping out anyway. They just had time to think about it and then realized, I don't really believe this. But a lot of us, we have an idea of Christianity that's informed by something else. And how did we get here? How did we get to a place where we are, as a, as a community of Christians, so often unable to discern what Christianity is and isn't? That's a great question. You know what I did in the beginning of the book as I touched on this, Scott, to your very point? And the way I do in comparison with this term hijacking, again, I'm not giving a parallel between progressive Christians as terrorists. What I'm saying yeah. is that when we have pure orthodoxy that is enhoused and coveted within the infallible word of God and is to be uh, taught and penetrated to the lives of people in the church that profess to know Christ as Lord and Savior. But just like when you go back to the times of 9-11 or prior to, you see that there was laxity when it came to security. We weren't taking things as serious, right, because – there was no need to. Mm. And plus, out of convenience for people to get to point A to point B, we didn't want to have a lot of restrictions. Yeah. I do think that that is a parallel in the sense of how in Christianity today, particularly I'm talking about historic Christian faith or biblical Christianity, people who take the Bible literally, who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day and that he's going to return. We believe in these doctrines, Scott, but a lot of us became very lazy about defending it and preserving it. And over time, when there's been a lack of security in theology and a lack of security within our Bible-believing churches, over time, you've had these people known as Gnostics or progressive Christians or liberals or woke people who say, well, no, I'm, I'm a Christian, but in a new light more of a modernized, right? Mm -hmm. Or I take the scripture metaphorically, but I'm a very spiritual person. And let me show you how Jesus liberated my life. It sounds pretty. It sounds nice. But when, when you don't have people with the proper theological security to protect and to preserve Orthodox Christianity, over time, this is what has happened, is more and more people, when they're not grounded in God's word and not being discipled in God's word and knowing what their spiritual gifts are, they will over time start with itching ears, start pursuing other doctrines that run contrary to what we believe as Christians, according to the scriptures. Uh, Jason, when you think of, of these things, first of all, why don't you describe for us what, when you say progressive Christianity, uh, what do you mean by that? It, it's a little unnerving always when we have some kind of adjective in front of Christianity, I think, right? Uh, yeah, you and, know, what yeah. what is this that specifically that you're talking about? Yeah, okay, so for I appreciate you asking me that because for clarification, uh, a progressive Christian again as 
Dr. Peter Eanes, who is a liberal progressive scholar who used to be conservative. Um, he would call himself a progressive scholar. Yeah, he, he right? pretty much is. Yeah, yeah, he definitely is. And, um, you know, he would says, you know, we don't want to look at progressive as this pejorative term like it's a bad thing. He looks at it as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Like, again, over time, what progressive Christians have come to uh, find out about Jesus, this is what they call as contemporary scholarship. They believe that their appraisal process has actually efficiently drawn out the true Jesus. And what they say is we, Scott, you and me and many of your listeners, we are the original hijackers of Jesus. Right. Meaning Jesus from day one never claimed to be God. From day one, he never said he came to atone for our sins. And so Jesus is not the savior of the world. Jesus is more of a liberator. So progressive Christian is influenced by, catch this, liberal Protestants, agnostics, skeptics, atheists, and Christian mystics. Mm. So when you're talking to a particular uh, progressive Christian, it will depend on their take on some issues of Jesus. He might be an insurrectionist. Uh, he might be a woke, inclusive teacher. He might be a Jewish mystic. But but the point is, no matter what portrayal of Jesus a progressive Christian has, um, they don't believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Matter of fact, they deny Trinitarian doctrine. They deny the infallibility of Scripture. And so at the heart of progressive Christianity, what I do in part two of the book is I expose six key doctrines that is at the heart of a biblical Christian who holds fast to the Word of God. And number one is the divinity of Jesus. Progressive Christianity denies the divinity of Jesus, as I said. Number two, they deny his virgin birth. They don't believe that that occurred. They think that's folklore or they copied from paganistic rituals Mm -hmm. and religions. Three, they deny the miracles of Jesus. They believe that miracles are a violation of the laws of physics based on Bertrand uh, Russell and David Hume and, and, and the likes and Benedict Spinoza. They also deny the atonement. Matter of fact, the atonement of Jesus is one of the most despicable doctrines progressive Christians teach in Christianity. They think it's horrific. Right. Jesus was not the he was not um, the sacrifice for our sins. Most progressive Christians would say he was sacrificial in laying down his life because what he was attempting to do was he was trying to rid the world of oppression and violence, and so he was it was like a peace treaty, a peace offering if you will. So they deny the atonement of Jesus because most of them, Scott, deny the original sin of Adam and Eve. Not only that, but they also deny a physical, literal resurrection of Jesus. And therefore, the sixth doctrine that progressive Christians, most of them deny, is a literal, physical return of Jesus to earth. So at the heart, that's what progressive Christianity is. There's been a, uh, I think, a long history of this developing over time and and different things. And, you know, I think one of the things that happened when I was younger, a lot younger, there was a a big move in Christian churches that doctrine doesn't matter that much, you know, that we really need to help people have better marriages and be better parents and do those things is fine. You know, you, you need to do that. But it those things replaced the doctrinal teaching and understanding of why we're Christians. And I think Christians have a hard time today discerning when they hear, well, Christians didn't always believe that Jesus was God. You know, there's there's not a good response to say, no, you're wrong about that. And they're completely wrong about that, aren't they? Yeah, they are. It's funny you mentioned that, Scott, because that's the conversations I've had with a lot of people. 
is they'd say, well, what's the big uh, what's the big deal? Like, why does this matter? I mean, yeah, why does this matter? Or 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 how do you know? How do you know this that Jesus wasn't just a liberator or that he wasn't just a Jewish mystic? How how do you know he never claimed to be God? Right? We've all heard from Bart Ehrman and and scholars like like him who have debunked the claims that Jesus is God. So what I attempted to do to help the church to defend what we believe and to preserve it and also in, in a loving fashion and, and, and with a, a God-fearing approach, when we're engaging progressive Christians or liberals or people who think they're Christian but they're not, we want to speak the truth and love, Ephesians 4.15, right? We want to be seasoned with salt in what we speak, Colossians 4.6, and always be ready to give a defense. But we have to be able to like respond when you say – well, hasn't this always been, or you guys were the ones that hijacked? So what I did was just to lay out the case to help people. Those six doctrines that I just laid out a minute ago that progressive Christians deny most of them, but in the heart or the umbrella or the movement, the ideological movement of progressive Christianity denies those six doctrines of Jesus. So yes, to your point, I call them doctrine deniers. Progressive Christians deny belief systems. They reject it. And so what I wanted to do is I said, okay, but you have to make a case as to why you believe these things about Jesus and how you refute the Bible. So I deal with historical inquiries to say, okay, what is your argument? What is your foundational argument as to how you go about debunking biblical Christians based on historicity? The second thing I do is I are, I look into their writings and their biblical explanations of how they look into the text, for example, the canonical gospels, mm-hmm. and how they interpret them to be read. The third thing I do is then I give out, I lay out the theological arguments. So then over time through church history, how they unpack the theology that comes from scripture. So I give the progressive point of view, and then I give the biblical point of view. And then the last one is at the end of the day, what are the spiritual results? So by looking at those four areas in each one of those doctrines, I'm showing where progressive Christians are coming from based on their own writings. I don't put words in their mouth. We investigated over 80, almost 100 progressive Christian books to make sure that we are articulating their position accurately. And then we, in a, in a, I think, an apologetic way, refute those claims historically, biblically, theologically, and spiritually. Former CIA officer and survival expert Jason Hansen here. I teach people how to prepare for the unexpected. Right now, most Americans are not ready for the death of the U.S. dollar. You have money sitting in cash, and if you don't act soon, your financial future could be at risk. I have partnered with Advantage Gold, the number one rated precious metals company in America, to release my new digital dollar survival kit that's 100% free for everyone who calls today and claims your free survival kit. Simply call 800-900-8000 and give your email address and I will have this new digital dollar survival kit sent to you immediately. Call 1-800-900-8000 now and claim your free kit and also mention my name, Jason Hansen, and see how you could also qualify for $1,000 in free silver. Supplies are limited, so call right now before it's too late. Call 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Check with your financial advisor before investing. Call 800-900-8000. Former CIA officer and survival expert Jason Hansen here. I teach people how to prepare for the unexpected. Right now, most Americans are not ready for the death of the U.S. dollar. You have money sitting in cash, and if you don't act soon, your financial future could be at risk. 
I've partnered with Advantage Gold, the number one rated precious metals company in America, to release my new digital dollar survival kit that's 100% free for everyone who calls today and claims your free survival kit. Simply call 800-900-8000 and give your email address, and I will have this new digital dollar survival kit sent to you immediately. Call 1-800-900-8000 now and claim your free kit. And also mention my name, Jason Hansen, and see how you could also qualify for $1,000 in free silver. Supplies are limited, so call right now before it's too late. Call 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Check with your financial advisor before investing. Call 800-900-8000. You know, when we're talking about this, this is crucially important because... If we don't understand that Jesus died for our sins and that he physically rose from the grave, then there's no victory. There's no, there is no difference ultimately at the end of the day between Christianity and any other philosophy or religion. That th- These things are the distinctiveness of Christianity, and that is uh, the, the evilness of changing what the Word of God is, what, the, uh, what God has done, and who God is. Mm, that is so true. I mean— in our, in our chapter on atonement, which was probably the most difficult and the most rigorous, mm-hmm. because you're right, you could say that Jesus, and again, progressive, most progressive Christians, the vast majority of them, do not deny that a person named Jesus Christ, who was a Jewish rabbi in the first century existed, many of them, again, he was a you sage. You have to believe was, that, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, any, any scholar, even atheist, any scholar, believe right. Jesus existed. Except if you're Dr. Richard Carrier, yeah, except for right, a few, who, but but yeah, uh, a few, but 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 that's still discarded, no, right? Yeah. That's yeah, that's yeah. not true scholarship, and so so they know that he existed, but where, like to your point, is like, but the purpose of him, of him dying, because that's the other thing. Not only did he existed, and not only did he teach moralistically, right? Progressive Christians love citing the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. but again, they take a metaphorical approach, right, when it yeah. suits them, right? And so uh, they're 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 dismissing obviously the authority. God, you know, in the flesh has in teaching that, that, that sermon. But what they will say is like, he lived, he preached, he was a moral being. He was the manifestation of God. Uh, we don't, we can't explain really the miracles that we, we call them more restoration. He was restoring people, but he did die. Yes, he did publicly die, but he didn't die for the, for the atonement of our, of our sins. And so what I do is I go into that because you're right, Scott, if in fact Jesus lived, but he didn't die for our sins, then we are still dead in our trespasses and sins because Jesus came to fulfill the law, as you and I know, Matthew 5, 17, and Jesus came as the second Adam, Romans 5, 12, the first Adam sinned and blew it as a, and as a result, the transmission of sin has been across the board ancestrally. But Jesus, God in the flesh, the incarnation, he came, lived a perfect life, and he sacrificed his life, yes, on the cross to atone for our sins. And that is at the heart of the gospel. And I do this by showing five key words that we see throughout the New Testament. It points back to the atonement, to Mm -hmm. reconciliation, substitution, redemption, reconciliation, propitiation and forgiveness. And at the heart of those five words, we see the fulfillment of the Lamb of God that we see in the Old Testament, that Lamb that Jesus was at the Passover when he was doing the meal prior to him being betrayed and crucified and given up his life. 
he was that lamb. He was that propitiation. That's right. And so that's the heart of Christianity. And so, yes, to deny that um, is to deny Christ, his sacrifice, and Christianity. Do people, when they deny that in your experience, do they openly just deny that? Or is it a process of what I'm saying is, in fact, denying it? I just haven't put that together yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, you, you, I, 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 let, me, I, let me speak to that, if I may, yeah. because you're so right on that. Because one, one thing I try to train Christians is, like, because you're, you're dealing with some people who are just biblically literate, they put their faith and trust in Jesus, right? They believe in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son, they, they heard the verse Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. And I think that many people genuinely put their faith in Jesus as their savior to forgive them of their sins and to have everlasting life. But to your point, when you start like um, challenging them on, well, what do you mean by the atonement of Christ? And this is what's important to understand because throughout church history, we have all of these amazing councils. Yeah. And all of these uh, creedal formulations that been, began to circulate even within a few uh, uh, central years after Christ ascended into heaven. Matter of fact, the one that we see that Paul refers to is in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Well, one thing we never really had, uh, Scott, was a creed that articulated the atonement of Christ. What we have is going back to 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 3, is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So at the heart of the Christian faith, people believed is the person of Jesus. That's right. And what he did. Yeah, and yeah. so a lot of people don't know how to articulate that. Does not mean that they're doctrine deniers. Does not mean that they're rejecting Jesus. I just don't think a lot of people theologically know how to properly understand that. Yeah, I think it's something that we have to, as believers, really understand that this is important. I think that we like to get into fringe subjects or or internal doctrinal struggles, you know, that we really want to plant our flag and, you know, is Jesus going to come back pre-post-mid-trib or is, you know, are we Calvinists or are we not or those kinds of things. I know people who can speak to those things so well, but if you ask them why did Jesus come the first time, they struggle to get that out. Yeah, You know, and I think that's one of the things is that we have to really make sure we understand why he came because everything is there. Jason, I want to ask you um, this question and the, the idea of hijacking Jesus. Sometimes people um, miss what Jesus is really about by talking about things that Jesus was in favor of, but making that the whole deal instead of, instead of just part of it. And when I get into that, I'm asking you this question. How do we discern the difference between a biblical justice and what would be a uh, a social justice or a progressive uh, social justice of today that actually is not the teaching of Scripture? How do we know the difference? Because clearly we're supposed to take care of those in need and widows and orphans. How do we understand and discern the difference? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it, there's we were talking in the last segment about atonement and where there is some confusion that people have. It's not that they reject the doctrine of atonement, but they don't fully understand the degree or the effects of it. And I think when we're having conversations with people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, and let's say, Scott, there are like carnal Christians in 1 Corinthians 3 or in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and following, that they're unskilled, that they're not able to distinguish between uh, right and wrong. And this is where a lot of people find themselves today, post-COVID, you know, critical race theory, wokeness, equity, equality. 
um, you know, Christian nationalism is wrong and all that kind of stuff. And, and I agree wholeheartedly with a lot of what people are saying on the front end. Mm-hmm. But what happens, though, is that people start taking social justice to mean God's domain, what God is doing, what God has decreed, what, you know, that sort of thing. And there's a danger in that. And so one thing that we have to be clear when we're talking about social justice versus biblical justice is that when you look at social justice, at the heart of it, God is not the authority. Man is. In the, in, yeah, in at, a modern view of that, yeah. In a modern view. So so there there needs to be, again, when we're talking about it, there has to be an absolute moral standard of justice, and that is God. In the social justice movement that, that attaches itself to intersectionality, that you define your identity based on uh, your, 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 your race, right, your ethnicity, your nationality, uh, your gender, your orientation. And, and again, by the yeah, by by the way, social justice warriors, you determine your own gender. You decide whatever your orientation is, right? No one else uh, does it for you, and it's and, and it's incumbent upon people um, to relinquish their rights in order to support yours. They call that social justice. At the heart of social justice, also is the oppressor versus the oppressed. So when you go down the line, you see a lot of things that run contrary to what we actually see in Scripture. At the heart of social justice is not original sin, okay? It's Mm -hmm. about punishment. When you look at all of the people outside of critical race uh, theory and legal theory uh, from from different people like Derek Bell – you you see that 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 a lot of the the, the proponents today with white fragility, um, you know Robert DeAnthony and all these other things, Crenshaw. You see that there is there's this um, punishment on people they feel are the oppressors, right? And so now what they measure is about equity, and equity is not about equal opportunity; it's about equal outcome. So they even say this. In order to end discrimination, we need to advance discrimination. In order to get to equal outcome, we have to rob from those who we feel. And again, that's the whole point. Like, who are the we? Who are the, who are the people who determine what is truth yeah, and what is right that? and what is just? Exactly. Right. Who decides that? And so this is the danger that we're, we're finding ourselves in at the heart of social justice. I, I know some people mean well, and I, I agree that you see some injustice that occurs and and you want to do something about it but the heart of social justice movement that again is built on the oppressor versus the oppressed is an actual fact an unequal treatment of equity is actually an unequal treatment of equality okay when you look at biblical justice again god is on the throne god is the creator we are made in his image we have fallen from that and throughout the storyline from genesis to revelation biblical justice what we see is according to a standard in which who God is and his decrees. And when there's consequences, right or wrong, we see the effects of that. And we see how God has emplaced institutions to instill proper justice, the family with a husband and a wife. You see the church where you have elders and shepherds who are overseer of people's souls. Okay. And then, and ultimately you also see the government in, in, in Romans 13. And that's actually a good thing. You don't see a leviathan of a gov- government. You see a self-governing institution that is run by people who honor and fear God, and they're executing the justice that needs to be appropriately uh, served. So that's distinguishing between social justice and biblical justice. And last thing I want to say 
And I talk about this in the book in the chapter where progressive Christians make him look like he's a woke teacher. They want to focus on him doing um, like all these social justice issues or that he was a socialist, right? He was, he was about redistribu- uh, redistribution of wealth. When in fact, you only see two occurrences of Jesus dealing with the, with the poor. At the heart of his mission, biblical justice people realize that Jesus was here to save our souls. The social justice warriors who make Jesus into an inclusive, woke teacher, they want to make it seem like it's all about redistribution of wealth, that Jesus was reforming Judaism. He was he was trying to overthrow uh, Roman imperialism, right? And he was trying to feed the poor. Right. You don't see that in the Gospels, and I show that in Scripture. You don't think Jesus was asking us to give our money to a central government so they can redistribute it? Just yeah, I know. <laughs> you don't yeah. see that? Well, I know, but that's funny because people make those statements. I'm like, right. okay, that's funny you say that. Where do you find that in Scripture? And there, it's not in there. It's not there. You know, the interesting thing is it's it's part of it, and I think what you said is right on the front side of it. We, you know, the church has failed in some ways to take care of people and to really reach, you know, to take care of widows and orphans. There's more that we can do. There's so much. I don't want to say we fail because we've actually done pretty well, including all of our faults for 2,000 years at the end of the day. But clearly in any culture, you can say the church can do more, you know, but when you get past the, that front side of it and you see the other side, when you see destruction on the, the backside, when you see, for example, here in, you know, in California, we have a huge homeless crisis and drug crisis. And a lot of it is driven by philosophies that say, well, people have a right to get high, so we're going to help them get high a little safer. And you can't figure out why it's, you know, we don't want to hold anybody to account. We don't want to ask anybody to recover or deal with their sin. We exclude Christian organizations or any religious people who want to help. That kind of social justice is not justice at all. It's it's upside yeah. down. You're actually making everybody a victim, except yeah, the people right. who say it, who empower themselves. At the yeah, end you're the right. And, and so the thing is that you want to look at is you want to be able to look at the institutions, like let's look at it. I mean, Black Lives Matter organization has failed and has gone bankrupt. I mean, if you have all this money and it was it was for hundreds the, the of millions good, of dollars, yeah, it, it was wasted, it was squandered, and we and again, and, and there's no uh, government institutions or politicians who are looking into that on the left. That is, um, in you know, you know, wanting to seek justice when that whole movement was supposedly about justice. If I may, there's a great quote by Calvin Beisner. And prosperity and poverty, and he po- he makes this point about injustice of equity. He says the only way to arrive at equal fruits is to equalize behavior, and that requires robbing men of liberty and making them slaves. So, in actual fact, social justice, when you are trying to uh, drive everyone to equal outcomes, you are actually equalizing people. Like, and this is Marxism, right, Scott? Yeah, this is Marxism, right. and you're robbing them actually as free creatures from their liberty, from their creativity, from their innovation, from their private property, and from their ability uh, to live their life uh, before God. And what you're doing now is you're making them slaves because now the truth of equity is it doesn't promote fairness and equal opportunities or equal outcomes. That's right. Um, what it, it actually, it yeah, it snubs individuality. And that's that. That's not what we see in Scripture. It's what it, it's ultimately the same thing. On the front end, you might say that uh, Marxism is, you know, positive, right? Well, we want everybody to take care of. We want workers to be treated fair and all those things. But on the back end, and history has shown this, is tremendous destruction. 
right. and death and murder and the worst of the worst of humanity, actually. And yes. it's because it's a goal that, number one, you can't reach, and number two, it's not the reality of, uh, of humanity, of uh, what we're called to do. And that's the reason to stay focused on Christ and what Christ has done uh, and be crucified in Christ, as Paul would say, right? That we can right. we can have a biblical justice where we care for the people that God has placed in our life and around us and directly care for them through the body of Christ. Uh, there's a whole other subject there, but uh, we only have a couple of minutes. Tell us uh, more about your book that comes out here, Hijacking Jesus, comes out September 12th. Uh, what do you hope people get out of that book? Yeah, what I'm hoping actually, what we've been talking about, Scott, is that people fall more in love with Jesus, that they would actually recognize, even if they are bona fide, authentic, right, uh, Christians who are biblical Christians who hold fast the word of God, but realize that they've neglected it. They're not really growing in it. Uh, they've lost conviction. They're not in step with the Holy Spirit. Um, that they would actually, as you read this book, that they would fall more in love with Jesus and, and realize the richness that we have in church history, which is phenomenal. It's amazing. And not just, you know, arguments to refute the progressive Christian, but that they would understand the beauty of the doctrines that we hold. And again, at the center, the centerpiece is Jesus Christ in this, and in the citadel of Christianity is his resurrection. And so as people are motivated and convicted that they would take that book and that they would then start engaging uh, progressive Christians who are trying to hijack uh, Jesus and also their church so that they're able to be better prepared against that type of, 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 of hijacking. So that's my hope and prayer. That's right. And that's an important thing for us. And the, the joy of knowing who Jesus is and what grace is, is that's the that's the life, right? That's the great adventure that we're even called on uh, for this life. Jason Jimenez, thanks for joining me today on the Pastor Scott Show. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. And uh, you can uh, find Jason Jimenez on, uh, what's your website, uh, Jason? You got a, your personal website. Yeah, the main website that people could check out is standstrongministries.org. All right, standstrongministries.org. Check that out. And uh, you can get Jason's new book, Hijacking Jesus. It'll be available on September 12th, but you can pre-order it today. Jason, thanks for joining us on the Pastor Scott Thank Show. Thank you. God great, bless you. Great to have you today. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today. I can't believe BJ's Wholesale Club has all this great new stuff. Honey, this sofa is so stylish. Yeah, stylish. And this sweater is so on trend. Try it on. That's me, Mr. Trendy. And BJ's has the hottest brands at great prices, like Sir La Table and Nespresso. And Hot Wheels. <laughs> It's Barbie! Hi, Ken. Let's go to the beach in my Corvette. Attention, BJ's members. The club is now closed. Just five more minutes? Please. Saving club or on BJ's.com. Not a member? Join today. BJ's. Absurdly simple savings.